Hey guys, happy new year and welcome back to Idea to Iteration. As cliche as it is, I'm so happy and excited to be back and building the momentum to what I hope to be a year of good fortune, achievements, and most importantly, growth. I feel like the past two years have been a process of adapting to the unexpected outcomes that come our way, but now that we have all somewhat adapted to expecting the unexpected, we can set the right tone for the upcoming year. To set the right tone, I have an amazing individual here with me, and I have no doubt that she will bring the right energy and influence to help jumpstart a good year for all of us. She is also my first female guest and definitely the definition of a female boss. I'm joined by Elaine Zapatoshini. Elaine has such an interesting and amazing career that I honestly feel has given her so much wisdom beyond the professional skill set that she has built. A large portion of Elaine's career was focused in the human resource department of various companies, including Liberty Mutual as a manager of client service and project leadership, TD Bank as a senior manager in organizational change practice, and Travelers Insurance as the VP of HR. Elaine's career drastically evolved when she founded her own coaching and consulting service called Asset Coaching and Consulting, where she coaches individuals and teams to improve leadership, organizational effectiveness, and culture strategy. I honestly think her approach to coaching is quite unique, but I will let her dive deeper into it through this episode. But welcome to the show, Elaine. I'm so happy that you're here. It's a pleasure to be here, Hafsa, and, and wonderful to spend time. Yeah, I've been waiting for this conversation for so long, and I knew that you would be the perfect guest to bring on in the new year. <laughs> I, have good, I have a good feeling, too. Yeah, talking about the new year, I can't believe we're going into 2022. Taking in everything that's happened between 20 and 2021, how has the past year been for you? It's been quite turbulent. Um, I, I don't think my experience is, is any different than anybody else's. Business has ebbed and flowed. The pandemic has had a tremendous impact. And even on the personal side, kids in and out of school, graduating college in the midst of the pandemic, you know, school shut down, just all sorts of things. And, and the, you know, the fear and the anxiety that came along with a pandemic, it, it has had a very bright moments and very challenging moments all at the same time. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like it's transformed all of us. And I was honestly thinking about this earlier today, but I find it so crazy that when the pandemic struck and nobody knew what to do, and now we've all adjusted so much over the past few years, it's actually insane. Like, do you remember those early pandemic days? Like, everyone just didn't know what to do with anything. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. And in some ways, as we've learned to figure it out, it's caused uh, like kind of this wonderful flow to come back. I mean, in some ways, I think about the pandemic has really given us a like a magnified view of how uncertain the world was. I just don't think we fully saw that. Yeah, I definitely agree. That uncertainty that we learned is actually insane. I'm so like as bad as it was, I'm kind of grateful that it happened at the same time because we've all definitely learned a lot from it. Yeah. Um, but Let yeah, grow grew as a result. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Talking about growing, you've grown a lot as a person in your career with your business and everything. And I think it's so amazing. I want to kind of talk about your journey of growth and even before your business and brand came to be. So 
since the early days of your career, you were a human resource professional for an extensive number of years. So I feel like the art of human leadership or in human interaction is almost like a second language to you. Mm. So it honestly draws a lot of credibility behind the brand you have now. But I kind of want to know where and when you saw your interest develop for coaching individuals and teams. Mm. Yeah, so I actually started my career. So a, a large part of my career was in insurance. So that that is my background. And like a lot of us who have uh, grown in insurance, have kind of landed there by accident. I was no different. I, I landed there by accident. And so I was in, uh, as you talked about in the opening, in business roles. That's where I started. And it wasn't until about, I don't know, maybe year eight or nine that I went into human resources. So this idea of, so I was a, a leader of people and my interest in the people business, shall we call it, I, I think actually started there. Um, in because I spent so as I kind of before I was a client service manager I was a client service representative and I did I liked training I liked doing peer coaching and that was part of you know when you became senior in the role that's what you did so I actually think it was born there and in fact I would probably say it was there earlier than that in high school helping tutor people and so forth so I you know it, I think it was there much sooner and in fact quite uh, I had not plan to go into a career in human resources. And in fact, uh, the way this kind of how it all came to be, I was, I was tell a story that I was found at a job fair, I was actually a, a business leader at the job fair. Um, and my one of the people in the booth I was working with said, Have you ever thought about a career in human resources? I'm like, No, in fact, like, not at all. Like, because what I had known human resources to be was not a, a people function. It was more an administrative function. I had no interest in that. So the person, Joan, said, why don't you come and talk to the new head of HR and like learn about what her vision is for HR. And Karen Todd is, is who I spent, uh, who was the head of HR. I spent time with her and learned uh, about her vision about this. Essentially, it wasn't called people in culture at the time, but that's what the, the function she had imagined that we could evolve it to be. And so I was up for that journey and that's kind of how it started. That's amazing. Yeah, I feel like the human resource sector does not get enough attention, just the same as insurance actually. So people obviously stumble across it. And I love that there's always those remarkable people who kind of draw your interest into it. I can see that in your story. Yeah. Talking about that, when you began your coaching service, was this something you were doing on the side while you were working in the human resource department of these companies or did you just jump into it full time afterwards? Yeah, uh, what ended up happening is I, for a period of time, I kind of moved back and forth between HR and business roles. And then when I finally landed in HR on kind of the latter half of my career, what became very clear over time was the parts of HR that I liked and the parts that I didn't. And so as that became clear to me, and in fact, that was very much in my whole career, I didn't set out with a direction. I kind of, it, it arrived or it showed up, something showed up and I said, oh, that's interesting. And so I, that's actually how I built my career was, oh, wow, that's an interesting opportunity. Let me try that. Let me go and see. And then as I spent more time in people and culture roles, it became very clear for me, the parts, it almost that I was pulled toward was leadership development, 
team effectiveness, organizational change. Those were the parts of, of people and culture that I wanted and, and culture strategy that I wanted to spend time on. And so when I, I decided to pack in my corporate role, I had, I had not. And in fact, that's one of my lessons is that, you know, had I had have the opportunity or would I have the opportunity to do it again, I would have started probably something on the side. And I didn't do that. I jumped in head first and, and it had some amazing benefits to jump in head first, but I left the corporate world and then started the business. And interestingly, as I left, I was going to, you know, my, my frame for the business was, or the services that I would start with was HR strategies. Cause that's what I knew. And that quickly evolved into kind of those three, you know, team effectiveness, uh, leadership development, and organizational change. But that took a little while to almost fully get my head around to, to niche my service in that way. That's so amazing. I, I would have assumed that you were doing it part-time while you were working full-time, but you went head-on first. That's such a big risk. And especially considering that you were working in the corporate world. And I feel like when you're in a corporate environment, it's so easy to rely on the corporate roles that you're in, but going in from a corporate role into entrepreneurship, that's very amazing and impressive, but kind of stumbling across that point. What was that turning point where you were like, okay, I can take this risk and I can go head on into this business because I know I'm good at what I do and I want to do what I do. Yeah, so <laughs> often what I heard as I made the transition into entrepreneurship, a lot of people said, wow, that's courageous and aren't you brave? And I'm like, yeah, not really, because I literally felt pulled that this is what I want, you know, so, so I kind of reached a point where I'm like, so do I continue doing human resources in this full way? Or do I, and, and so p- part of the exploration for me was, or what my realization was that there was a way that I wanted to do it. And in some of my roles, I wasn't getting to do it the way I wanted to. And so that was uh, like the pull of entrepreneurship was, then you actually, you start your own business and you get to do it the way that you see fit, the way that you want. And so I was really pulled towards this opportunity and, and as I think about it now, it was opportunity to create something. I was going to say new. I, I mean, I don't know how new, but look, for me, it was new. So I was, you know, really was a force. Um, and, and I believed it was possible. So it, in some ways, it's not that I wasn't without fear or any of like, there was a lot of fear there, but there was something bigger that was pulling me to go and do this. So I believe that it was possible. And I, I believe when you believe that anything is possible, there's not, you bring your fear with you and you try it. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. I agree. It's really just you telling yourself what you can and can't do. And once you realize that, hey, I can do that. And like, no one can tell me different. You'll actually be able to do it regardless. Like, no fight about that I know for sure that you can do whatever you put your mind to but I once again that is very courageous of you and yeah you get to build your own vision which is like obviously when you work in a corporate environment you're working off the corporation's vision or the company's vision but when you get to build your own vision it's almost like a creative outlet for you too did you feel that starting it too 
I don't think I realized, I don't think I would have labeled it as creative. I think that's exactly what it was. I didn't Mm -hmm. understand it to be that at the time. I, like I, I, I guess I just understand it more deeply now, vision and purpose. I think that's what was happening. I didn't have that label for it. But it, you, I think you're right, Hafsa, that this idea of being able to create something different, new, novel, that's actually the way I, I think about it. It's like this, you know, uh, even the ideas in coaching that I, or in consulting or in facilitation that I put forward, they're, in some ways they're not new, I wrap them in a way that perhaps might be experienced as different, but that it was the, the, almost the culmination of all of it created some power that was actually in some ways a creative power. So I, I connect to that. I just didn't fully in that way as you describe it at the time. Yeah, definitely. You were just not conscious of it at the time, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you realize it now. So yeah. yes, <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. And also talking about the point where you're saying that you created something new, but not necessarily new, obviously, coaching, mentoring, it's a very popular career path that people do take, but it's so special because everyone has their own approach to it. So what do you believe makes your coaching services distinct in the market that you're in? Yeah, so there's a couple things. One, I think my experience, you know, that I've been, I've been a business leader, and I've been an HR leader, that mix of experience is unique, maybe, or uh, distinct. I love that word distinct. Because I understand what it's like to be a business leader, to lead people and lead teams. I've been in individual contributor roles. And so there's this diverse tapestry of experience, I, I, I believe. I think the other thing is, as a coach and a facilitator and a consultant, what is really important is that I, I've done the work on myself. So I think sometimes you can go and do this work and teach concept. And, and in fact, I don't view coaching as teaching, but there are some that operate in this theoretical space. And there is leadership development that relies on concept and theory. Absolutely. And, and I do impart some of that. But in order to do it from the place of experience or from the place of understanding and holding compassion... I can't do that if I haven't done that work on myself, right? If I think about, um, and even as I was speaking a little bit earlier, what, what I wanted to share, but we'll place it there now. I was actually kind of a shitty leader when I first started as a leader. And not that I was a perfect leader by the time I left. That's not it. It's just um, sometimes we teach or we coach to the things that we need to learn the most. And I believe that that's the case for me. For sure, it's the case for me. And so this idea you know, leadership development, I, when I say the word leader, I believe that it's, you know, kind of leader in my life, or that anybody can benefit from coaching and mentoring and development to not, you don't have to be a formal leader, it's being a leader in your life. And so, you know, I've had on my personal side, I have a son with special needs, he is significantly delayed. And so who I am, uh, who I'm being, as I travel that road, it's had an impact on that. It's had an impact on my whole life, including that. And so what I think also makes me distinct is I have done this work with myself, for myself, with a coach, because that it's that important to me. I love that. You kind of really put yourself in the role that your client sits in. And I feel like that's the best way to teach someone else how to operate. And 
I like that you admit your setbacks in the past. That's amazing coming to terms <laughs> with it. <laughs> but that's definitely amazing. And I do believe that makes you very distinct in the market. Speaking about your coaching services, I know there's three major values you draw your coaching services towards or leadership towards in today's uh, generation. And that's being human-centered, purpose-driven, and interconnected. Which of these values do you believe is most forgotten or dusted under the rug by many people? I think, whew, that's a tough one. I, I don't know that I could choose one. I mean, what I, I this idea of human-centered, like purpose-driven and interconnected in some way sits underneath human centered I think I guess part of it is those are descriptor words for the way in which I believe leadership needs to be experienced and so I don't think one is weighted it's it's kind of like asking the question like what's the most important quality for leadership I mean my goodness we ask 800 people and we'll probably get eight 800 different answers I think yeah so I, I think human centered captures a lot of the things that are important you know the one of the ways I describe it is that there is like this cry or this call for a different kind of leader to be uh, in our organization open LinkedIn and scroll for you know 10 minutes and that will it there is this um this desire for something more than we have and I think it is that you know some may call it EQ, but it is this idea of human-centered that we, we can't rely on what we know or just competency. There is something that has to follow with it or be with it, not even follow, be with it, so that we can actually connect with the people that we're leading with or for, in service of. We can't do that if we're if we don't understand the human dynamic or the human centeredness, like of all of our interactions, it is all centered around human dynamics. And, and if we don't see that and don't um, pay attention to that or organize around that, I think that is a lot of the miss that can happen with some leaders. I think you make a very important point and definitely with like the incorporation of technology and everything, As much as it helps us be more in touch with other people, whether it's in a work environment or within any type of team, I also feel like sometimes we neglect the importance of building those relationships. So definitely all comes down to that human centeredness. It's definitely the core of everything. I think so. I do. What's been your experience, Hafsa? Just I know you've been on your own journey the last little bit and being in in organizations. What do you see of those three that I I asked? What what are your thoughts? I agree with you about the human-centered aspect. I also feel like I know you draw it as kind of an umbrella with human-centered being at the top of it all. I feel like the interconnectedness is also very important. I feel like sometimes uh, a lot of business leaders or people within teams, they don't realize the importance of being self-aware before working with other people to understand how to build that perfect dynamic that works for everyone. Since we're all so different and everyone has such a different style of how they approach things or process things. And if you don't understand it yourself, you won't know how to place yourself in a situation with other people to work efficiently. 
Yeah. So that's my opinion. <laughs> that's that's beautiful. I and I think there is you know something very real. It's um, we can talk a little bit more about that. This idea of awareness in my experience is is like the gateway. It it allows you to lead in a more human centered capacity because you're aware you're aware of who you're being and how you're being with people and you're aware of the dynamics that are happening around you so i think awareness is a huge interestingly as i think about interconnectedness it's that you know we don't do anything alone we are reliant and like this pandemic has been a a prime example of interconnectedness like yeah. on so many levels, right? We're operating in a system and it's being able to see and understand what that system is that we're operating in and that human dynamics are at play in there. And so awareness is one of the, in fact, probably one of the center points and pillars of practice that, that leaders can embark on that that is like in some ways the golden ticket. Yeah, I agree. It's, but I also feel like it's probably, I don't know if you're the one who coaches, but I feel like it's probably the hardest one to teach because I feel like you and me both, you said that you made mistakes in the past and you didn't know how to lead properly. I feel like same with me, like when you go through experiences, that's the only way you actually learn how to become more self-aware. It's, it's more something you experience than you are taught by someone, you know? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's, a, it's a very important distinction to make um, or almost cleave apart and in fact coaching is the space in which we can examine our our you know beliefs assumptions and so forth so that we can actually be in tune with them and understand them and in fact my view of coaching is it's not I'm actually not necessarily teaching it is asking questions that compel someone to spend time with those things and thinking about them and um, understanding them for themselves. And it is, so it takes, it takes a special kind of, I'm going to even say human, not, not just leader, but human being to want to spend time in that place because it can be not fun. I did not for many years show up and say, Hey, I was a shitty leader. I mean, it took, it took a lot of work on my part to be able to say that, you know, quite comfortably and quite confidently. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I do like that you do give people food for thought almost, or the clients that you train. Talking about your clients a little more and your experience with developing all these different leaders who come from different backgrounds and leadership styles. What have you kind of noticed has been a common trend across the board that sets them back or creates a point of regression for them? Yeah. So um, one of the models that I am a huge fan of from the conscious leadership group and they talk about um there's a a, i do will we have the opportunity could we share like a link yeah to be able to share that okay cool all right yeah we definitely can (laughs) okay cool and so what it does is so the the video you can have a look at it but it, it 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 gives you a little bit of um context for kind of above and below the line but what it beautifully does is talks about where am I leading from now and leading meaning leader in my life, not just being a leader of people, but where, where am I, where am I now? Even take out the word, word leader, where am I now? And below the line, you're closed, you're defended, you're not in trust, you're, you know, la, 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 you're not, 
you know, it's you're closed. When you're operating above the line, you're open, you're curious, you're, you're in high trust. And a great deal of us spend a great deal of our time below the line. And we don't know that we're below the line. And when we don't know we're below the line, we actually then don't have choice. You used the word a little earlier about conscious. I was, I was, you know, became conscious of something. When you are operating below the line, we often operate unconsciously. We don't know that we're below the line. So the first step, and so to your point about regression, regression happens every minute of every day depending on what we're triggered by, what's going well, what's not, or are perceived what's going well, what's not, what's happening to me as opposed to what's happening by me. Regression happens, and people are going to re- listen to this and go, that's, I don't know, that's not what <laughs> it is. It is what's happening. And so the, the most amazing practice one can do is actually begin to track and become aware of when I'm below the line when I'm actually trying to prove that I'm right or somebody else is wrong, when I'm, I'm overly identified with being a perfectionist or being in control or having people like me, that's all below the line kind of thinking. And it happens where we are hardwired to go below the line. And so this idea of regression, it happens. And so the practice becomes where am I leading from now? Where am I right now? And when I'm below the line, deciding whether or not I want to move above the line and be open and be curious. And curiosity doesn't mean asking someone to explain to you why. Curiosity means holding space for for someone and being genuinely open to hearing, not so that you can prove that you're, but, but genuinely what's important to you right here, right now. And so regression or, and particularly in times like these, when we are challenged, when our anxiety is high, our fear is high, it happens often. And so the real work is getting clear on where am I leading from right now? Yeah, I agree that self-reflection almost is really important for that consciousness that's below and above the line. And that definitely makes a difference because the human nature is always going to have a little bit of ego, a little bit, especially as a leader, when you become more comfortable with what you're doing, it's often very easy to get caught up in that. So I agree with you. And I can see how that affects many people as well. Absolutely. And if you don't see that it does, then you're actually probably below the line because the human ego, like, and so we even sometimes have a relationship with the word ego, right? It's we actually have an ego to protect ourselves, to keep us safe. That's when we go below the lines, when we're not feeling safe. And we're, we are hardwired to protect ourselves. This is how we have a human race, by the way, is because we, you know, protected ourselves from physical threats. And now we don't have as many physical threats, although the pandemic, of course, is shining a light on the whole different <laughs> yeah. than, you know, the days where we were chasing saber-toothed tigers through the you know, chasing after them for food. It's different times, but our brains have not fully evolved to something where we can actually see the difference between real physical threat and a threat in a meeting or 
uh, for my boss or whatever the case is. Those are very um, habitual and hardwired responses in, in us, in ourselves. Yeah, I agree. Uh, kind of continuing on with that subject in mind, I wanted to ask you about leadership and the impact of feedback and constructive criticism on leaders. And obviously, this kind of ties into what we're talking about. So from my experience, you receive feedback in different ways and forms. And some feedback's good, but some feedback is not necessary or can be deemed as bad. And as a leader, you kind of often have to depict what is right and wrong for you based on your own morals and your own gut instincts, how do you kind of teach that to the leaders that you coach or what do you believe is good feedback and how you pick up on it? So in the realm of self-awareness, Tasha Europe, she's got a beautiful book called Insights. And she, I think this might be the metaphor she uses, but like this idea of two sides of one coin. And so around uh, awareness, she, she talks about like, there's kind of two aspects to it, which I, I'm going to connect to your idea of feedback, which is there's how I'm understanding myself to be out in the world. And then there's the, how you're being experienced by other people. And this idea of getting, I'll do get feedback from people is like the other side to the point, how are you being experienced? And you, you need both. You need to understand how people are experiencing you and understand that that's happening from their own lens, where they are developmentally, and also creating, you know, generating how do I want to be experienced and be conscious and being aware through reflection, through practices about how I'm showing up. So, you know, to answer your question, what this thinking about feedback is this two-sided way or awareness is this two-sided approach I think is important. I think the other thing that's important to consider is we categorize feedback. And, and again, we're hardwired to do that. In fact, we see yeah. feedback as a threat because mm -hmm. my, my ego, my identity is at risk here. Whatever you've told me now, let's, I mean, if somebody's told me I'm phenomenal, perhaps my identity is not, <laughs> you know, at risk there. But generally when I'm getting feedback, <laughs> there is something happening where I'm at risk and, and the, the brain cannot distinguish that this might actually be for help or for good. And so it's this idea that one of my coaches actually helped me frame this beautifully, which is it's input, it's data. It's not good, bad, it's someone's truth. And it's important to understand what that truth is, their truth. So the more truths you can gather from your surround, is helpful in some ways. Tasha talks about it in, in her book as um, loving critics. Find, you know, two, three, four loving critics that are going to tell you feedback in a way that is going to be helpful for you. But I, I believe it's important to listen to it. But it doesn't mean that it's the truth. Because the other, the last piece is where I am on my development path is going to hugely shape how I hear that feedback, what I do with that feedback. Developmentally, when I am in socialized mindset, I'm operating from the outside in. When I do my um, self-worth, my safety, my identity is wrapped up in how you view me. Mm 
And when we're in the socialized mindset, the problem becomes sometimes I get too much and I actually don't know who I am or it may be a challenge to mine and, or I need to listen to so-and-so because like they're an important part of my, or my boss thinks this and my boss must be. So when I'm in the socialized mindset, it's very difficult for me to sift through and be able to not let it be the truth. The further I move along my development path, the further self-authored, the closer I am to my self-authorship, which is the next stage of development, the more I have my center, the more I can actually ground in my own truth. And so I, I think part of it is a journey to understand, you know, to be able to filter through. But I think there is something very real about understanding that experience so that I can move along my development path to understand what my patterns of, you know, if I'm controlling, if I'm high approving, if I'm high protectionism, if I don't understand those things, how can I possibly seek to evolve and change those things? Yeah, I love how you frame that all. Another major thing is that I feel like we struggle to deal with feedback when we hear something we don't want to hear. And once again, that is the ego that does kick in. Yeah. And and it's also to not make your ego wrong. Like, you, it, so mm-hmm. it's like this idea Thinking about how you're thinking is another way to um, Robert Keegan. It's, that's his model of adult development is moving through, you know, kind of um, socialized and self-authorship and to self-transforming. He talks about um, meaning-making systems. And so it's thinking about how you're thinking. And so it's being able to step back and it is, only, it is through awareness and then re- reflecting, understanding how you're making sense of the world that actually allows you to have choice and develop and make different choices. So thinking about how you're thinking is important. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Another major thing that we talked about earlier and that you kind of emphasize in your coaching services is the importance of heart set. Now, normally I always focus on mindset and having a good mindset, but I found it very unique that you said that heart set is just important as mindset. So you kind of want to, first of all, explain what heart set is. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I will uh, connect it to. One is, is above the line, below the line. So when I'm above the line, I am open. I'm curious. I'm actually not allowing my brain to do all of my powering. I'm, 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 I'm leaning on this. I'm leaning on my heart to guide and and it's this idea of and you again we'll see this in a lot of the literature is soft skills or hard skills or you know it's eq and iq and like it's it's that the uh, human centeredness is really heart set it is having being able to be direct with compassion heart set gets you compassion it gets you empathy it get you know so some people's approach to candor is like the scorched earth uh, approach to candor where we run over people in a heart somebody that has heart set and mindset it's look here's the data here's the facts and i'm going to do it in a way in which you under i'm giving you input or feedback in a way that I actually care how that lands not because i want your approval but because you're a human and and i I actually want to say this to you in a way that you're going to be able to hear it. And when we do it from just our head, it becomes this logical, rational thing that 
is important that we're able to articulate things clearly and think things through clearly. It's not just a thinking exercise. There are all of these human dynamics that when we also consider the heart and being open and being trusting and curious, those are the kinds of things I point to in heart set. So and in some ways, they're not two distinct things. I'm one whole human being. But I tend to, I think sometimes we believe it is this exercise of, I just need to think about this harder. And I think it's more than that. Yeah, and I really like how you put that actually. I feel like there's such an important balance of that heart set is actually not emphasized by a lot of people. So I like how you really talked about that. Another important thing, well, something I've come to realize over the past year is that as important as heart set and mindset can be, it's also so important to see our success play out through building momentum. Now, I know I've personally experienced this over the past year, even with this podcast alone, it's taken a lot of momentum to see it build out and grow and start something new. And you've kind of seen something similar when you started a business and you help other leaders be successful in their businesses. So what are your thoughts on fostering momentum for yourself as a business leader? And how have you seen it influence your success? Uh, When I hear the word momentum, how I would frame it is keeping moving. So sometimes in fear, we stop. Yeah, we we freeze, right? Flight, fright, freeze, like those things happen for us. And don't get me wrong, stopping is sometimes important, like sometimes you actually need to do nothing. And so So there are times where that's appropriate and important. And then there's other times where it's just a step to keep momentum. I think sometimes we think of momentum as like this big machine, like it needs to be big, bold steps. And I'm of the opinion that it can just be baby steps. I agree. Just keep moving. And But generally, what's one step that, that I'm not trying to force something? right? So you can't force momentum. Like it's this idea of like, as you, as you gain, it's almost moving of its own volition, right? This, when I think about momentum of the, the wheel or something, it's moving in some ways, like you don't have to force it. So mm-hmm. in some ways it's a bit of a balance, which is steps and moves. And it's important. Sometimes it's, they're bigger, there's are smaller steps. And in fact, often in the work I do with leaders and teams, it's a couple of just small pivots that will actually create a greater momentum. I definitely agree with that. It definitely takes those smaller steps. And the importance of it all is really just keep moving. Like you said, I feel like when you encounter a failure, a lot of people just give up at that point. But that's where you actually need to strive to just keep moving forward. And then eventually, like you said, those small steps turn into big steps. And I feel like that's so important. Yeah. And if you need time to just, you know, had a failure and you can, you know, curl in for a second and feel the feeling and say, yep, that sucked and okay. And then brush yourself off and, and keep going when you're, when you're ready. And sometimes maybe a little bit before you're ready, but you know, keep going. Yeah, exactly. Kind of to the point of keeping going and going through this whole pandemic and over the past year, Um, Another concept that I kind of worked my head around is the thought of discipline compared to motivation and which one kind of weighs more than the other. I want to kind of know your opinion. Do you believe that 
motivation and discipline are equally weighed or do you think one is more important than the other? Mm. Well, having spent the last hour with me, I'm sure you can probably guess the answer, which is it's both. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I, what I wonder is, is it dependent on what's happening? Mm -hmm. Is one more important than the other? It it might be. Discipline is interesting. I think about that about practices, right? So some leaders think that doing leadership is practicing and practices or discipline are is something different it's actually an intentional practice that you're cultivating something very specific so you can do leadership you can learn a bit but when you do the discipline of practice it actually accelerates learning and you need to be motivated to do practice intrinsic motivation i mean there's an interesting when you think about what I wonder when you use the word motivation, maybe you can say a bit more about how you see that. Yeah. So my opinion is kind of different than yours. So if you want this vision that you have for yourself and this improvement you have for yourself, I feel like not every day will your emotions keep you motivated to do that activity every single day or every other day. But I feel like you need to develop that discipline and that kind of weighs a little more than the motivation because you know your end vision and how to get there but your motivation is more based on your emotions but at the same time I also see your perspective so this is very interesting to me yeah um yeah also as I listen to Hafsa what it makes me think of is are they separate things I don't know like when you when I listen to you speak about it it's like when I don't have motivation then I need to pull on something else I don't know. It's an interesting quandary. Yeah, I guess it just depends on the atmosphere environment that you're approaching something with. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overall, I feel like we've talked about so many interesting topics and you've definitely given a lot of insight and knowledge for not only myself, but all the viewers going into this new year. Um, to wrap up the interview, I do want to ask you a very important question. So what is one habit that you believe individuals should adapt going into this upcoming year? Mm. Okay, I'm going to give you two. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Two things. Um, Awareness practice. How can you raise into your consciousness that which is unconscious? And like that's big and huge, but it's paying attention. It's being present to what's happening in that moment. Take the, where am I, where am I leading from now? Start there. Big, huge, that will create awareness. Second, reflection time. The, one of the most challenging things leaders share with me is finding time for reflection. We are so busy. We are running after it. And to this point of thinking about how we're thinking, that's through reflection. So not reflecting about what, what went wrong and what's, you know, like self-taught. That's not really reflection I'm talking about. I'm talking about what, what new awarenesses did I create throughout my busy day? And it does not have to be big and huge and long journals. It can be that if you want it to be that. But find time and, and a discipline around reflection time. I, I, I actually think this is true of anybody, not just leaders, but specifically leaders find time to reflect if you can do one or both of those things 
I think you will find it pays dividends to um, the growth, your own growth, and therefore the growth of your team, because you actually show up differently when you do those two things. I love that. And I feel like that does weigh heavily and it's often forgotten because everything moves so fast that you don't obviously always take the time to reflect. But overall, I feel like you've given so much insight over the whole episode and really help people become more aware and well-intentioned going into the new year. I want to thank you so much for coming on, being the first female guest also. I'm, I'm so happy that you came <laughs> on and we had this conversation. I feel like so many people are going to learn from it. But before we do wrap up the episode, do you want to shout yourself out? Oh, get, come, come connect with me on LinkedIn. I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. So come find <laughs> me there. Yeah, you guys should check out her LinkedIn. She has amazing articles and she's very on top of it. So <laughs> I'll definitely link that in the description as well. Also make sure to follow Idea to Iteration on Instagram to stay updated for new episodes. But I look forward to seeing you guys on the next one. 